Uh, well, let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would speak to us now. And I pray uh, that we in turn would speak to you um, truthfully, uh, righteously, and with great hope in you. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Uh, well, um, a big news announcement. Humanity has made another step forward this week. I heard that, uh, by best estimate, this Tuesday is when we will tick over 8 billion people alive in the world. Pretty amazing, huh? Um, in other news, humans are treating other humans just as awfully as they ever have. Sorry, that was a hard right turn. Uh, it's just that any news about the progress of humanity, and I just think, well, we haven't changed in any meaningful way. I was reminded recently about the plight of the Uyghur people uh, in the province of Xinjiang. Uh, honestly, I haven't thought about them in a while, but they are still suffering direct persecution from the authorities, simply for holding Islamic beliefs. Uh, Wikipedia lists the following. Government policies have included the arbitrary detention of the Uyghurs in state-sponsored internment camps, forced labour, suppression of Uyghur religious practices, political indoctrination, severe ill-treatment, forced sterilisation, forced contraception and forced abortion. How are we to respond to the injustice we see in the world? There are people from every country who are all too familiar with injustice, and out of necessity, they've been hardened to it. Perhaps their response is one of cynicism, uh, an unfeeling acceptance that this is simply the way it is. On the other hand, I've met many Australians, and this, these would be the younger generation, who uh, have a keen alertness to situations of abuse of power. And they respond to injustice with activism, uh, protesting and petitioning for equality in our society. And then a third response, and this is one I've observed mostly in myself, and, and people like me who've lived lives of uh, peace and, and privilege. Uh, for us, we tend to respond with apathy. And maybe that's a bit harsh. Um, perhaps that's too strong. Maybe we would care if we were more aware of any widespread oppression. But our problem is ignorance. Maybe because of our relative peace and stability, we just don't know how unfair the world really is. We haven't experienced how in the real world, might is right. And if you're weak or disadvantaged in any way, uh, you're going to get trampled on. And your voice won't be heard. Now that's not something to feel guilty about. If God is blessing you with stable relationships, a steady income, and safety in your home. Enjoy those blessings. But the question we're asking today 
is what to do when things are not as they should be. So the cynic, the activist, or the ignorant, has anyone got it right? The Psalms form the songbook of the people of God. These are the words that God has given us that we would speak them back to him in prayerful song. And one of the things I love about the Psalms is that they speak to the whole of human experience. Psalms for all situations. But this means that quite often the words we find in the Psalms are not nice. They're confronting, harsh-sounding, bleak in their outlook. But that's because they're facing up to reality. There is deep darkness in the human heart. The world is a cruel place. This is not the way that it should be, but since it is, what are we to do? Where is God in this? I want to suggest to you that what we have in Psalm 94 is a gift from God. Left to ourselves, we are dumbfounded. What can we say? What can we say to the Uyghur mother here in Australia who's lost contact with her son back home and knows this can only mean one thing? But today, God is helping us to pray this prayer to him as a right way of responding to situations of oppression. God is inviting us to inhabit this song, God's song, for the downtrodden. Let's read. First one. The Lord is a God who avenges. O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. Well, that is quite a way to begin a psalm, isn't it? So this is a song of vengeance. O God who avenges, shine forth. Well, to avenge is not something we typically associate with the Christian religion. Anyone else a little bit uncomfortable with the idea of following a God of vengeance? You see, to us, vengeance sounds vindictive or perhaps arbitrary. Like, vengeance seems like the immature, overly emotional, out-of-control response to being hurt. Well, the first thing to observe is that the psalm is not talking about arbitrary, vindictive revenge, but about retribution. So, verse 2, it says, this is paying back what is deserved. This is asking God to deal out measured, fair punishment for evil actions. Secondly, it helps to know that this role of bringing retribution for wrongdoing is a kingly role. So Yahweh is called judge of the earth in verse 2. But the image that the psalmist has in mind is more like the judgments of a king than the image we might have of a judge in a courtroom. We know this from the context of the psalms that surround Psalm 94, where Yahweh is triumphantly declared 
to be the king of the universe. The Lord reigns. We read throughout Psalm 93, 95, 96, and, and on in these Psalms here. So judgment and retribution, it's all part of God executing rule over his kingdom. Vengeance is a matter of making justice visible in God's realm. I'll say that again because this is what Psalm 94 is all about. Vengeance is a matter of making justice visible in God's kingdom. And this is the problem that's described in the following verses. Justice is not visible. Verse 3, how long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. This is shocking. It's absolutely horrible what these proud ones are doing to Yahweh's people. And who are these people? Well, it's the most vulnerable who are being oppressed, as it always is. These are the widow, the foreigner, the orphan. The Bible consistently highlights these three as having a special place in God's heart. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, Yahweh says that he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. So Yahweh's heart is to protect the vulnerable of society. But these evildoers have almost targeted them directly. Notice the language. They oppress them, holding them down. They crush these people like an ant between their fingers. They murder them, taking their lives. These actions are cruel. But even more cruelly, they boast their evil deeds. They pour out arrogant words like a fire hose. When they open their mouths, arrogance comes gushing out. The words of verse 7 are uttered while they commit the atrocities of verse 5 and 6. They say, verse 7, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. Such arrogance. One commentator calls these oppressors functional atheists. Functional atheists. Because they're not so much saying that God doesn't exist, they just think he's either impotent or uncaring. Do you see the connection too? Yahweh is supposed to be the protector of the weak, but when Yahweh is not taken seriously, the weak are put at risk. So just taking a step back, you know how we have this feeling um, that wanting vengeance or judgment, it's a bit much. It's sort of over the top, isn't it? Well, I think that when you have a hard look at the injustice in the world, like what this psalm is doing, you 
you start to see that, no, this is really wicked and judgment is right. There are examples of just punishment. I I think we all would applaud. Has anyone seen the movie uh, August, Osage County? It's about a dysfunctional family. It's a bit of an intense movie. Uh, But this thing happens where a girl, she's about 16 years old, she gets groomed by an older man. He's, he's above 40 years old. And step by step, he wins her trust and creates space for just, just the two of them to spend time alone. And no one else in the family is aware of what's going. They're not alert to it. Except the nurse who, who lives with them, she sees and one night, the, the predator man, he's alone with the girl. He's sharing his marijuana with her. And this is the moment that he's going to take advantage. He leans in, steals a kiss from the girl. And watching this, you're just filled with dread. But then, outstorms the nurse with a shovel. And she whacks the predator over the head with a shovel. You get away from that girl. And watching this, my gut reaction was, yes, that's right. You're not getting away with this. The notion of the judgment of God against evildoers, it sounds overly harsh until you look evil in the face. The systematic oppression of Uyghurs in Asia, Christians in Pakistan, and the Rohingya in Myanmar, it's horrific. And if we would inhabit this song of vengeance, we need to face up to the evil of injustice. And the psalmist looks on at such injustice, and he can hardly bear it. How long, Lord? The psalmist is grieved over the situation. And he brings that grief to God, almost as if to say, Lord, doesn't this grieve you too? When will you do something about it? You feel the tension here. In this moment, God is not proving to be a just God. He's not enacting judgment over his kingdom. This oppression and injustice, it doesn't line up with who God is and what he's promised for his people. How do we handle this? When God doesn't appear to be who he says he is. For the psalmist, he begins with lament. And then, in this next section, He looks at things from a new perspective. Where the first section was from the subjective point of view of experiencing the injustice, the voice of section two is much more objective, absolute. So verses eight through 15 are really timeless principles that are ultimately true, even if they're not felt at all times. So now, we're going to get some perspective from God. 
concerning the wicked in verse 8 to 11 and concerning the faithful in verse 12 to 15. And if the wicked say of God, he takes no notice, verse 7, in verse 8, the psalmist says to the wicked, take notice, you senseless ones among the people. You fools, when will you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? The Lord knows all humankind. He knows that they are futile. From this top-down perspective, it becomes clear that these arrogant tyrants are in fact senseless fools. Their foolishness is demonstrated by the repeated rhetorical questions. Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who made the eye not see? No, of course, the God who invented hearing definitely hears. And does he see? Yeah, he sees perfectly. Total foolishness to think you could escape God's notice. Not only does he have a perfect record of deeds, he perceives the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. And they're futile. The plans of people are empty. Because in the end, it's God who governs creation, along with every creature in it. Walter Brueggemann says, human autonomy is an illusion before Yahweh's surveillance. Human autonomy is an illusion before Yahweh's surveillance. And so you see how the tables have turned. The proud ones perceive Yahweh as impotent. For in reality, it is they who stand completely exposed to God's judgment, who will have his way with them. Scary as this is for the wicked, it's a comfort for the people who are downtrodden. And added to this, there's an encouragement in the next verses to endure the present suffering with faith in God. Verse 12. Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law, You grant them relief from days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Judgment will again be founded on righteousness and the upright in heart will follow it. God's people are reminded of the promise that there is a day coming when the scales will be balanced. There is an ultimate punishment being prepared for the wicked, represented by the pit. It's being dug right now. And at the right time, when all is prepared, God will bring justice on the earth. Judgment will again be founded on righteousness, verse 15 says, and all the upright in heart will follow it. So remember that idea about kingly judgment. It's the the administration justice. This verse is saying that one day God's kingdom will be governed righteously. There will be a righteous ruler 
and that society itself, people's hearts, will be changed to line up with justice. Friends, this is the kingdom of God that Jesus preached. A new creation under God, a community where God's righteousness dwells. We aren't there yet. We wait to see the kingdom in its fullness, but we hold on to God's promise in the meantime. The Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. It can feel like that sometimes. Certainly Psalm 94 is written for such times when God is not protecting his people from unjust suffering. But in this middle section, we're getting perspective. And we're able to see that even during such hardship, we can experience peace from God. Blessed is the person who is disciplined by Yahweh, specifically taught by his law. It's the person who has been trained to love and obey God's will that can experience relief from days of trouble. And that doesn't mean removed from trouble. I don't think that makes sense in this psalm, it's talking about an inner peace from knowing God through his word that helps us endure the days of trouble until that final day. It's like what Father Brown said. Um, Do people know Father Brown? I don't know. When someone asked him about doom, and by doom he means something like fate, so here's, here's the quote. Do you believe in doom? Asked the restless Prince Saradine suddenly. No, answered his guest. I believe in doomsday, and that's, that's judgment day. The prince turned from the window and stared at him in a singular manner, his face in shadow against the sunset. What do you mean, he asked. I mean that we are here on the wrong side of the tapestry, answered Father Brown. The things that happen here do not seem to mean anything. They mean something somewhere else. Somewhere else, retribution would come on the real offender. Here it often seems to fall on the wrong person. We might be in a time of trouble. It might be as bad as the oppression in Psalm 94. But in the big picture... God's promise stands. He will bring judgment. No one can escape it. The world will be made right again. This leads the psalmist into his final section where the tone changes again. We've had lament and then wisdom, timeless principles, Now the psalmist speaks in the first person and he's telling of a time when God saved him in the past. So verse 16. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. This section begins with a question. Who will stand for me against evildoers? 
But as we've learned, the way the psalmist asks the question, he isn't throwing his hands up in hopelessness. It is expressing helplessness. He can't fix the problem. But even in the depths of lament, the psalmist knew where his hope was. It's you, Yahweh. You are the one who will stand for me against the wicked. Evidently, there was a time previously when the psalmist was in danger. Can you imagine walking on a cliff? The psalmist was right at the edge of certain death. Whatever the situation was, metaphorically, all it would have taken would be a slip of the foot. He would have fallen. He would have been a goner. But Yahweh was his helper. The unfailing love of God held that foot and kept him safe. God acted by his faithfulness and kindness to rescue the psalmist from the external danger, whatever that was, but also from the internal fears and anxieties that were multiplying. Rather than being overcome by worries, the psalmist found joy in the comforting presence of God. Recalling this past deliverance builds up for the psalmist assurance that God will again act on his behalf. It's almost like God's faithful actions in the past are like deposits in the psalmist's piggy bank. Now he can draw out confidence from from that to face new trouble. So we shift back to the present crisis in verse 20. He writes, Can a corrupt throne be allied with you? a throne that brings on misery by its decree. The wicked band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. The government is corrupt. Not only are those in power mistreating the weaker members of society, they're creating misery by decree. Official laws, documents with the coat of arms for letterhead, .gov, web pages. Their, oppressors, their oppression is right on the righteous is by design. They're like a band of robbers waiting to pounce on the innocent traveller. They're like the lawyer, the judge, and the jury all gathered together to do one thing, condemn the innocent to death. This is the present crisis. These are fresh images to describe what we've already looked at in verse 3 to 7, it's, it's bad. We know it's bad. But the psalmist has been on a journey through lament, gaining perspective, and remembering God's faithfulness in the past. At this stage, there's almost no room for doubt. But the Lord has become my fortress, and my God the rock in whom I take refuge. He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord our God will destroy them. The psalmist knows who God is and is assured that his prayer will be answered. The cry, verse 1 and 2, God, please avenge, bring retribution, bring justice to your world. 
It's turned to contract in Yahweh. He will. Psalm 94 has lasted through the centuries as a song for the downtrodden. It has helped God's people facing oppression to express their unmet desires for God to show up. Psalm 94 helps all of God's people to grow to long for justice in God's world. To pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Only when Jesus returns will judgment again be founded on righteousness. And as you and I look forward to that day, we pray with the saints who've gone before. We pray Psalm 94. We pray Revelation 6. So chapter 6, verse 9, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they'd maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. So now, BTC... What do we do in the face of injustice? What is a righteous response to oppressive regimes? God has gifted us the words of this psalm for when we are being trampled on. Or more likely for us in this room, these are words we can pray on behalf of others who are being squashed with no voice to sing for themselves. As Christians, we call out the injustice around us. Call it what it is. We bring these situations of suffering before the God who avenges. As Christians, we long for God's justice to be manifest on the earth. And we pursue a just society, fighting to protect the vulnerable, as God does. Why don't we pray these words now? I'm sure that you can think of a present injustice in our world. It might be the modern-day slave trade, stealing sons and daughters from their families to make use of them as human resource might be the persecuted church under an oppressive regime like that of Pakistan or Somalia. In Pakistan, there are blasphemy laws that give local governors power to incarcerate and even put to death Christians and other minorities who don't believe that Muhammad is first prophet. You might have in mind the global refugee crisis. And considering how the unfair treatment of asylum seekers in this country is written into official policy. Whatever God is bringing to heart for you now, let's speak these words 
ask that he would act. Can you stand? And we're going to pray Psalm 94. We'll all uh, read out and pray the bold, and I'll read the normal text. Let's call on God. The Lord is a God who avenges. O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. They say the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. Take notice, you senseless one, among the people. Can you go to the next slide? Take notice, you senseless ones among the people. You fools, when will you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are futile. Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law. You grant them relief from days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Judgment will again be founded on righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had been my help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolations brought me joy. Can a corrupt throne be allied with you, a throne that brings misery by decree? The wicked band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my fortress, and my God the rock in whom I take refuge. He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord our God, we disturb.